please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Good morning, everybody. I am your host, Doug King, and you are listening to the GeorgiaCarry.org radio hour. And uh, we have a very exciting show today. I'm looking at some of the news that's coming up. And, you know, December is, is a time of year that everybody kind of slows down and steps back and, and enjoys family and friends and the holidays and and Christmas time and break for the kids and all of the festivities that go along with a year well spent and remembered. And and I would like to be able to step back and relax and take a couple of weeks to reminisce on the wonderful things that have happened, not not just in our show, but, you know, with Georgia Carey as a whole, with, you know, some of the legislation that's been passed and the election. I, I think that we're looking at a, a kind of a brave new age for the state of Georgia, for our country as a whole. And I think that these are important things to, to reflect on. But... We just don't have that luxury. And it's a shame because the month of December is the pre-filing month as bills start to get introduced for the Legislative Assembly to consider. If the uh, General Assembly is going to get stuff done, we are at the beginning of a two-year period, culminating the final two years of Governor Deal's tenure in, in the office, that we're going to have a, a open election in, in 2017. And as we look over the political landscape right now, we, we see that, you know, Trump has won a resounding victory in the Electoral College, that uh, Hillary Clinton did eke out a small majority in the popular vote, but that the Electoral College holds that uh, when you look at the each state in its entirety, that every state counts and that there are more states with more people that want to see conservative values or at least a, a repudiation of the liberal policies that have been such a hallmark of the Clinton era that... Um, we're doing pretty well, and it would be nice to be able to sit back on on a rest on our laurels, and not have to think about the fact that there are a lot of people out there who don't believe in individual freedom, who don't believe in liberty, who don't believe in. And I'm not just saying Democrats. I'm saying on both sides of the aisle. I mean, there are a lot of Republicans out there who don't believe in individual liberty or freedom. There's a lot of libertarians out there who don't believe in you know winning. Um, but the the end all be all of all of this is that our rights and our freedoms are under assault and, and looking at these pre filing bills that are coming out and looking at what different people want to do to our state, we don't have the opportunity to really rest. This month is gonna be a busy month to combat these ideologies and make people scrape and fight for what they believe in and what we believe in and what means something to all of us. So, 
as we look ahead, it's it's very important, especially if you're not a member of GeorgiaCarry.org, that you become a member so that you understand what's going on in the legislature. I, I mean, some of the, I got an email this last week, and and the emails that come out of Georgia Carry are few and far between. There there really aren't a lot. They uh, sometimes they'll announce a raffle, or sometimes there will be a, a new bill or something that's important, but. Um, they flurry through the legislative session between January and March. There's a lot of information because things are happening. And then the rest of the year, it's it's a pretty quiet prospect. You'll get a, a notice about the upcoming convention in, in August. You'll get a couple of notices about a raffle or, or a, a chapter meeting. And that's another thing I need to talk about is chapter meetings because uh, we have a brand new chapter who's having their first meeting coming up on Thursday. And they are meeting in LaGrange. It is the West chapter. So now we have Valdosta, Augusta, LaGrange, Atlanta, Northwest. I mean, there are lots of places popping up that have meetings that are going on where you can meet up with other GeorgiaCarry.org members, become a member yourself, hear a topic, uh, have a discussion. The meeting in LaGrange is going to be with uh, Executive Director Jerry Henry, who is God is his witness, thought turkeys could fly. And so... Um, there's a, a lot of opportunities, and I think that this is a good way to get involved and to get that sense of camaraderie and fellowship that needs to go along with an organization as big as GeorgiaCarry.org because with nearly 9,000 members statewide, it's hard to be in touch with everybody and to understand where your $20 is going to and what your your membership means to this community and every member is important not only is it important when georgia Carey testifies at the capitol that individuals who have nine thousand members in in the organization get a lot more attention from the politicians but also having enough people show up having people who turn up to these meetings having people who email and call and and let them know that they're being held accountable and that this is important and that people are watching them is incredibly influential. I, I know most of you who listen to the show regularly know that there was one point in time in my life when I was, uh, I worked on the staff of a, a, a U.S. representative. I, I mean, I know what the Hill is like. I know how this works. I know how the internships work and I know what a phone call means, right? If you get an email, we would put a little hash mark next to pro or con on a topic. And that's really, I mean, you don't, you don't have to say a lot because this gets distilled down into some pretty raw numbers. If we had a topic, let's say we had a, an assault weapons ban coming up. And I, I say that because we kind of, in Georgia, we kind of do. So let's say that there's an assault weapons ban. We would have a, a tally sheet next to every phone that took in calls from the outside world. And it would say, AWB, and underneath there would be two columns. One would say pro and one would say con with a big dark line down the center. And for every email you'd get, you would go and put a notch, one notch on the tally sheet and pro or con, whichever way it went. For every phone call, you'd put five notches down. And for every person who came in, you'd put ten. So ten emails from any one of you guys out there is worth one person walking in. So if, if you are able to go down to the Capitol and go into the office building and say, hey, I want to talk about why this assault weapons ban is is not in the best interest of Georgia, and just talk to them for about five minutes, let them know you were there, that's as good as ten emails or two phone calls. So if ten people out there emailed about how they hated the assault weapon or they loved the assault weapons ban, one Georgia Carry member going down to 
to the office and sitting down for five minutes would cancel all of them out. And that's the way it works. Because people who are willing to come down to the office get more weight. Because they're willing to invest more and they're putting more of their heart and soul into it. And it's a, a bigger deal to them. And the investment of their time and resources counts for more. And it should count for more. So as we're coming up on this legislative session, these are things that need to be taken into consideration and taken into account because it's going to make a big difference. If you're able to go to a committee hearing, if you're able to, to, to go to their, their offices and make heard what you believe in, it's going to make a big difference. And this is the sort of stuff, I mean, I know you guys sit here out there and listen to Rush and Hannity and even that, that EE guy that I just really, anyway, um, and they'll tell you, oh, this is horrible. Oh, this is horrible. Oh, this is horrible. And we need to stand up and fight against blah, blah, blah. They don't ever tell you how. You, you never get a primer listening to Rush on what you need to do to actually make a difference. In fact, he goes as far the opposite direction as humanly possible. I mean, Rush pointedly doesn't tell you what to do. I only remember one time in my life, and I've listened to Rush since I was in fourth grade third grade right in there yeah so i've listened to rush for a long time but rush only once in his entire broadcast career to my knowledge has actually given out the capital phone number has told anybody to call anybody for any reason at all and the only time he did it was to prove that he didn't do it he said, if I were giving out the number and telling people to call, it would crash the Capitol switchboard. In fact, let's do it. Today, everybody, I want you all to call the Capitol switchboard. I don't care what you support. I don't care who you support. I don't care what issue you support or are against. I don't care who your representative is. Just call the Capitol switchboard and let's see what happens. And he kept handing out every segment. He was handing out the number for the Capitol switchboard and asking people to call to talk to their reps. And lo and behold, the Capitol switchboard crashed. They couldn't handle the call volume. And he was making a point that if he was out there telling people to call, telling people to, to raise havoc, that that's the way it would be every day. And his show has enough call volume that is easily dwarfs what the Capitol switchboard gets on a daily basis. Now, I'm sure that the technology is as advanced from then till now, but at the time he had basically shut down all the phone calls going in and out of for all of the reps and all of the senators. So they don't tell you what to do, but Georgia Kerry is going to tell you what to do because we need you to be involved. We need you to be active. We need you to be calling people and getting out there and showing up for these hearings. And it's different nationally. I mean, you can't really just drop everything and, and run all the way to Washington, D.C. for a committee hearing. It doesn't work that way. But here in Atlanta, if you can hear my voice over the airwaves here in Atlanta, there's no reason that you couldn't go to a committee hearing. There's based all throughout the week. And you should. This is an important deal. You should go to a committee hearing, and you should see the way that this works, and you should hold everyone accountable. And that's the most important thing, is holding government accountable. Now, when I come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about this assault weapons ban that's being promulgated here in Georgia and, and some of the logic behind it. And I want to just take it point by point and debunk it. So um, we'll be getting into that right after this commercial break. We'll be right back.
now back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So you're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org. I am Doug King, and we are talking about assault weapons bans. Now, here in Georgia, I'm happy to say that there is virtually no chance of any kind of assault weapons ban uh, coming to play in this fair state. That's just not going to happen. There is nowhere near the political will to get it done. There's nowhere near the public outcry. Even when tragedies have happened, Georgians have firmly rallied behind the idea that their constitutional God-given rights are sacrosanct and that we're not going to be giving up what makes us free men and women in order to curry to a political desire for more power. And I have always believed that that is the, the true, truest aspect of all of assault weapons bans, is that it is the nature of government to try to amass power unto itself. It is the nature of government to try to uh, pull power away from the people and invest it in the government. And that's why we have a Tenth Amendment, right? The Tenth Amendment was very specific. It said all the powers not expressly given to the federal government are reserved to the states and to the people. And the thought is, is that we need to be afraid of the federal government because the state government is more responsive to the people. Now, I think that that has changed by and large over the years. I think that the federal government may indeed be more responsive to the people than the state governments are because the federal government has certain not only broader interests, but that the the political maneuvering of state governments is diluted across many states and that the truer will of the people is heard when many different states are brought into play. That's why the Electoral College is so important, because if it was just based on population, then New York, California, and Texas, and Florida would be able to carry the entire race, and none of the other 46 states would matter a hill of beans to anybody running for office, because if they could just win those four states, they would become president. If they can just keep hold of those people, then that they would have ultimate control of what's going on in this country. And the Electoral College diffuses this across many states so that every state counts in some way. And it's true that the smallest states, you know, North Dakota and Rhode Island and Alaska are not going to get the attention that states like Michigan and Ohio get, but they still have a, a role to play and a, a chip in the big game. <clears throat> so I think that we're at a point in our, our evolution of democracy in this country where the federal government is actually more responsible responsible and responsive to the will of the people than the state government is because if you've tried to get somebody on the ballot in in Georgia it's just about impossible i mean it is locked down and the politicians have a monopoly on power and there's very few ways to get into that arena other than by becoming politically invested in the system that controls you. And that's what we see in the politicians that run down ballot. Uh, you know, there may be a, a three or four choices for president, but you start to get down to school board and there's nobody. I mean, the county commission, it's just got one choice all the way through. Judges, one choice. DAs, one choice. Shoot, dog catcher, one choice. And the reason for that is because of the way the, the system is truly rigged. And, you know, we, we have... 
the Department of Justice that says that it monitors state elections, but they don't really enforce rules that allow for free access to the ballot. And as long as there's some parts of the state that are are minority run and some parts that are are still held in the hands of of old good old boy politics, the Justice Department just doesn't care. So. It's really hard to get motion in state government, and the only way that we have to put pressure on politicians is by showing up to these meetings and showing up to committees and and having real discussion to try to force their hand to do more things that are in line with what we want, because we're not going to end up running against them, and they know it. So, what in in light of this... You know what's going on with our state government this year, and there are a lot of bills that are being pre-filed. There's a lot of stuff that's going to be happening. We're going to get a lot of legislative updates coming up in the next couple months as things get kick off. But right off the bat, it did not take long for State Rep. Mary Margaret Oliver to announce through a Facebook post that she plans to introduce legislation that would take make certain guns illegal in Georgia and require their confiscation. I'm going to read her statement here in in its entirety so that I'm not accused of misquoting. I am hopeful and will continue to press for a rational discussion on the ways to curb the 33,000 deaths per year from gun violence. The courts are addressing and enforcing assault weapons bans in other states, and the debate will continue, and I want Georgia to be part of that discussion. I intend to file again for the 2017 session of the General Assembly a bill to ban assault-type weapons, and whether you support or not the proposal. I hope that you will join me in asking for an open, rational, and bipartisan debate on gun violence deaths and how to reduce senseless killing. Thank you for your interest. Well, I think that this radio program is going to take her up on her offer. I'm going to reach out to um, Ms. Oliver's office this next week and invite her here for next week's show to take her take on why an assault weapons ban would make any hill of beans worth a difference in the 33,000 gun deaths that she's quoting, where she gets her numbers, why she gets her numbers. And I say we just have a little bit of fun with this, don't you? So I'm not going to go through all of my reasoning on why assault weapons bans are pointless. I'm not going to go through all of my reasoning today because just on the, the lark that she happens to uh, listen back to this program, I think it would be much more fair, open, and honest debate if I haven't laid out all of my premises for her to be able to attack beforehand. But I know where this is going, and I know the end of this road, which is government taking away the right of the people to defend themselves, and I will not stand for that. I absolutely will not stand for that. The question always becomes, why do you need an assault weapon? And that is the wrong question to be asking. So we see that there is a dedicated, continuing onslaught against freedom and personal responsibility. And I'm tired of it, folks. I am just sick and tired of it. I am tired of the system. I am tired of the games. I'm tired of of a police officer being able to say, you did something wrong and get by with it on his say-so alone. I think that it's we, we really should be at the point, at the, the day and time, where if there aren't two witnesses that it didn't happen, um, I know that there are some crimes where that's that's a virtual impossibility, but there are a whole bunch more where it should be required. There are a whole bunch of crimes where that should absolutely be required, that you have two witnesses before that they can haul you into court. Now, 
for the gray areas. I mean, that's why we have juries and that's why we have, you know, due process. And there's, there's some things that are going to require more, but there should be some evidence. There should be a witness. It should be not be purely testimonial. And trust me, folks, I prosecuted those cases. I prosecuted straight testimonial cases. In fact, I've prosecuted cases where every single witness got on the stand and said it never happened. And I still secured a conviction because the evidence was was true. And the evidence spoke for itself. And the evidence convicted somebody. Not the testimony, not the lying testimony of everyone who got on the stand who said it never happened. Even the victim who was covering up for her abuser. I mean, that that is the, the reality in much of America today is that we watch abusers walk away from their crimes because the abused stand up for them and protect them and keep them safe. And it's a hard thing. It is a hard thing for a victim of a crime to be willing to stand up against the person who is their meal ticket, to be able to stand up against the person who has threatened their children, to threaten to take away their children or threaten to hurt them or has hurt them in the past. And, you know, if you can just keep keep everything status quo and keep everybody happy and keep everybody even and, and, and not make anyone upset, then it'll go away and, and we can get through today and we can get through tomorrow. And that's all that really matters. And that mentality sinks in. And these people aren't willing to go and fight the hard fight. But that mentality of the abused catering to their abuser is so reminiscent of the mentality of the electorate catering to its political structure and even though the political structure abuses us and threatens us and threatens to take away our freedom and happiness and joy even though the political structure then turns to us and say if you don't do what i want i'm going to imprison you i'm going to have you taken away from your family we turn back and say well it's the the lesser of two evils it's the best we can do and and by catering to this structure we can get through to another day it takes real bravery for the abused to stand up to their abuser, and it takes real bravery for the electorate to stand up to its politicians. It takes real bravery to stand up to a system that has the ability to grind you under. And we hope and pray that there are good prosecutors and good judges. I don't see a lot of them. I see a few. Very, very few. And I've been in every courtroom, I think, in this entire state over the last... 12, 15 years. But looking at the, the reality is that there's very few. Most people just serve this monolithic system that grinds people under and doesn't look at what really happens or what's really important or what really matters. So, folks, we're at another commercial break, and we will be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. Before we took the break, we were discussing a little bit about the importance of getting involved with the upcoming legislative session. And I, I, I said that I wanted to reach out to our Representative Oliver for next week's show, see if she really means what she says about an open dialogue, because I would love to have her here in studio next week sometime. Um... We'll do a recorded episode, and that way I can have a chance to really discuss things with her in depth. And I, I think that if we really had that discussion, uh, a lot of things would become apparent. I, I don't believe the government has a right to do that. And I think that every time the government starts to 
use security as a justification for their actions that <coughs> the reality is it is just a naked power grab and that is the the best fear-based lever to make people give up their freedom and i think that that's sad I think that this is the ultimate evil in humanity, and it's what we need to fight against. Human beings are motivated out of fear and out of love. We do things because we love it. We don't do things because we fear it. And there is this giant manipulation mind game that is being played on us all the time, working on those two factors, right? You love a good cheeseburger. Who doesn't love a good thick juicy bacon cheeseburger right where the meat is tender and and juicy and the bacon is flavorful and maybe smoked with apple wood with with thick black pepper on it and a nice slice of melted cheddar and lettuce and tomato i don't know about you but i like mine with lettuce and tomato heinz 57 and french fried potatoes but when we look at that, we're told, oh, that's not good for you. That's going to kill you. And none of us want to die. So now we're too afraid to go after what we love because we're afraid of the consequences of eating that delicious, thick, juicy bacon cheeseburger. Well, that's a lot of the way that all of the psychology of our society works is that they take the things we love and turn it into something that we're afraid of. The truth is, is that we need to quit being afraid of things and start just loving and doing what we love and enjoy a life and, and help each other and, and see the, the pure beauty and joy of being alive. And there is, there is pure beauty and joy in life. There is the ability to get out and just revel in the day and what all there is to do. And there are things that we do we don't enjoy. I mean, not everything in life is enjoyable. There are times when I would rather be sleeping in than getting up and getting kids ready for school and getting lunches packed and breakfast made and, and everybody where they need to be. But I do it out of the love for them and for their knowledge. My, my stepdaughter sent me a text during the break and said, I'm getting logarithms and I'm so excited because here, here she is expanding her future and getting ready for a brilliant and bright future where she can do anything. You know, I'm looking through pictures on Facebook and I see a picture of my son and daughter when five years ago, when John was just three and little Liz was, was, wasn't even one. And they're sitting as we're putting up the Christmas tree. And, and I think how small they were and how much they've grown. And I take a lot of joy and pleasure in the fact that I have been here to help them and guide them and, and get them through the hard parts and provide for them and make sure that they have the clothes they need and the food that they enjoy and that their lives are full and wonderful and, and, and rich. And so everything that we do imparts some good, not only onto ourselves, but onto others. And that is a wonderful thing. And when you are acting out of these motivations of love and joy and peace, then what more do you need, right? I mean, these are the things that motivate us to do the greatest things in life. You know, the Taj Mahal, I know it's a mausoleum, don't, don't get me started, but the Taj Mahal was built out of love to show love. You know, the, the work of the apostles in the Bible was done out of love to show their love. 
all of these great sacrifices and, and it wasn't seen as a sacrifice. What they did wasn't seen as a sacrifice because it was done out of love. And then when you're doing things out of love, then it's not a sacrifice. It's not, oh my goodness, I have to do this or I have to do that. It's, it's a joy. It's a pleasure. It's, it's just wonderful to be able to. But there's a dark side, isn't there? There's a dark side to making people do what you want. And that is if you, if you, if it's not based on love, if it's not their free will giving, if it's not them out of the goodness of their hearts doing something, then how do you make somebody do something? Well, you have to make them afraid. You have to threaten them. You have to abuse them and coerce them. And that's what I see. That's what I see happening in the government. That's what I see happening in our day-to-day lives is that we're not being asked to do out of love. We're not being allowed to be who we are. We're not being allowed to stretch ourselves and enjoy ourselves. Instead, we're being coerced by fear. If you don't do this, if you don't pay your taxes, you're going to prison. If you don't... um do this. We're going to lock you up. We're going to take your kids away. We're going to take your money. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your ability to to own land. We're going to take your property. If you don't do this, we're going to do this to you. And it's always a threat. And nobody enjoys being threatened. Nobody's conscious mind cries out, oh, I wish that I would be threatened or I wish I would be abused. The people who enjoy being abused have have something wrong with them. I mean, this is the fundamental nature of what's wrong. If there's something wrong with you, how do you understand that somebody is not quite right? If they enjoy being manipulated, hurt, or abused, there's something not clicking right in their head. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be cared for. Everyone wants to be enjoyed and appreciated. And those are the, the factors that motivate people. But abuse and, and hatred and fear, those are not the, the, the best ways to get people to do things. I mean, it, it may work for a while, but eventually people grow tired of it. And no matter how desperate the situation i know and it takes a long time i've seen this in the special victims cases i work that sometimes it takes 9 10 15 times that the abused goes back to their abuser before they finally break the cycle of violence but eventually it does and that's the the hope that's why so many of us do what we do as prosecutors and as as victims advocates and as defense attorneys too because there are times when the abused become the, the abuser in the eyes of the law. When the abused who stood up for themselves are brought to task by an abuser who knows how to manipulate the criminal justice system. And we defense attorneys who see this and come to their aid and fight the good fight are standing up for truth and justice and freedom as much as or more so than any prosecutor, judge or law enforcement officer. You know, I used to say that I was a law enforcement officer. I don't think I wanted to claim that title anymore because I, I think that it's no longer the honorable profession it once was two dozen, three dozen years ago. But I used to say I was law enforcement because I enforced the supreme law of the land. I enforced the Constitution, and there was no higher law that could be enforced to make sure that people's freedoms and liberties were preserved. And I believe in that. I believe that no matter which side I'm on, whether I'm prosecuting or defending, that I am standing up for truth and justice and what makes America great and for the freedoms and liberties of every person, the freedoms and liberties of a community and of an individual in every case. 
and that there is no case that's unimportant or too small or just tying up the docket. If, if you're a judge and you're listening to this and you think that you have cases that are tying up your docket, retire. Just, just hang up that robe and go play golf because you have no business being behind a bench. Every case deserves its day in court. Every case that pleads out is a failure. Those are all cases where people were not given their day in court and were not given justice, where they, they accepted something less than justice. Every plea is, is a, a waste of time for the state because it does two things. One, it moves the docket along so that there are not as many trials, which means that they can handle a higher case volume without actually worrying about what's just or right. If that person who had committed that crime, they wouldn't be accepting the plea deal if it was for the maximum. But if they committed that crime, don't they deserve the maximum? So if they committed that crime, you should take it to trial. But if you took every case to trial, then you couldn't handle the volume of cases that you have to handle. Then you'd have to let some cases go. Well, the cases that are being let go are cases that or would be let go are cases that shouldn't have been brought in the first place. And they're only being brought because they know that they can plead these cases out and make them go away and collect some money and call it a day. And that system is, is perverse. And that system is evil. And something has to be done to make that system crack open and that the people acknowledge that this is not right. This is not the way that it was supposed to be. If it's a crime that's serious enough that we are going to extort something out of you, and money is life. I've gone through that argument on this show many times. Money is life. So if we're going to extort something out of you, there should be a trial, and the people should have a chance to say. And judges and prosecutors shouldn't hold people more accountable for going to trial than for accepting a plea offer. But the system isn't made to work that way. The system is made to slide people through and, and to get them to capitulate and to get them to just, just, just go away, just pay something and go away. And if that's the system that you want, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't stand that. And I don't want to see that in our political structure either. Folks, we're at a commercial break. I'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So, again, I am your host, Doug King. We are in the final segment, the fastest hour on radio. Russia's got the fastest three hours, but they won't give me that much time because, you know, who knows what I would do if I had that much time in the day to talk to you folks. You'd be out there with pitchforks and banners marching on the Capitol. So... In the last segment, I was talking about how I, I get so frustrated with the system, right? We look at, at these cases that come through and judges who want to just move their calendar and prosecutors who move their calendar and the police that stack more and more cases up online. You know, I often, when I was a prosecutor, I'd have police come and say, well, you know, I've got these five cases and I want them all to be a jury trial. And I'd look ahead and I've got one month to do those five cases in and they want a week-long jury trial in each. And I'm like, well... If I take all of yours to trial, one of them will have to be dismissed because I can't do them all. And what about everybody else? You want me to dismiss all of theirs? Which cases do you want to throw out? You know, here's what I've got. I've got three, you know, rape cases that I need to try this month, and you've got seven parking tickets you want me to try this month. So which ones do we toss? And they always got mad at me and, and frustrated. But in the end, you know, those are the kind of decisions that have to be made is what do you do? Do you try everything or do you and, – and do you stop – 
prosecuting cases that just aren't meaningful. And I think that that's the solution. I think that cases that are meaningful should be tried and cases that aren't meaningful should be dropped and we shouldn't be prosecuting people for technical violations of the law only on meaningful violations of the law who's the victim and how were they hurt and what can we do to create justice in this situation and that's a a question that is completely overlooked by our system is how do we create justice prosecuting somebody is that justice or is it just that they pay a fine and go away is it just that a person goes to prison? I mean, are these things what's really the right outcome in this situation? And once in a while, once in a blue moon, and I'm thinking of a particular prosecutor right up in, in Gordon County and in Bartow County right now who actually does think about what is justice. I don't know how long he'll make it because <laughs> I'm telling you, it, the system does, is designed to crush people who worry about questions like that. But... <clears throat> It spills over to our political system, too. And the political system is about making noise and saying, you know, let's have a dialogue or a discussion and, and throwing a bill out there that has no chance and no hope and passing bills. Every year, more and more bills get passed. We have been passing laws in Georgia for over 200 years. In 200 years, why do we need more laws? If God could do it with 10... Why has it taken the Georgia Assembly 200 years and aren't even close to being done yet? I would like, that's something I would like to ask a legislator. Maybe I'll ask Miss Oliver that if she's willing to come on this show. And, and I wouldn't hold my breath for that, folks. I don't want my few listeners passing out between now and, and, and eternity, from here to eternity. So, but if, the Georgia, if, if God can lay everything out in Ten Commandments, why has the Georgia Assembly had to take 200 years and still um, trying to promulgate new laws? I mean, seriously. I mean, really think about that. Why do we need new laws at this point? What are you doing down there? Well, there's, there's things that need to be done. Why? Why haven't we got it done till now? I mean, I know I'm kind of stealing Trump's line there. You've been in 30 years, and what have you got to show for it? But they spin their wheels, and it's all a part of the system. So that they come back and have more to do. There's always more to do so that they still have a reason to be there. You know, I think that it would be better if we had a system where, where oh, I mean, there's, there's no good answers here, folks. So the only thing we can do is to hold them accountable and to make sure that they're not doing things that are, are detrimental to our rights. It'd be nice if we could get some things fixed. There are laws out there that are bad laws and need to either be repealed or replaced. And I'm not talking about Obamacare. I'm talking about, like, the 1934 National Firearms Act. I'm talking about the law in Georgia that says that we can own suppressors and machine guns and short-barreled rifles and short-barreled shotguns in compliance with federal law. We don't need to kowtow to federal law. Federal law already says that there are these limits and prescriptions. Why don't we just make freedom here? Why don't we just make it free? Why do we have to have a license to do things? Why do we have to have a tax stamp to do things? Why can't we just be free? Why can't Georgia just be like a beacon of freedom that you can do what you want as long as you're not hurting somebody? Why can't that be the goal? And I know that there's, there's you know, limits and that power has, you know, other avenues and it'll seek its own level. And I get that. I've been a political science major my whole life, right? I, I, I was studying Machiavelli when I was in sixth grade. This stuff is not foreign concept to me. But I think that we need to start to espouse some higher principles and work towards them, even if it's imperfect. 
And I'm totally fine with imperfect gains if they are gains. I know that we've worked hard to get places that were off limits taken off the list. And someday we're going to get constitutional carry like all the free states out there. You know, Alaska and Vermont and Kansas and places where people can can just be free and live their lives and not need to be licensed to do it. Licensed in permits and red tape just to be able to... to get, yeah, I don't know, folks. It, it it really rankles me. It gets my cackles up every time I think about all of the licensing that we go through on a daily basis. Not not just not just carry permits, but all the way across the board. So you want to fight? Has this motivated you that you want to do something? You want to you want to get out there and and make a difference? Well, I'm telling you that blocking I-75 at night ain't making a difference, but going to a committee hearing will. Making a few phone calls will. Becoming a GeorgiaCarry.org member will, and you can. I mean, it's real simple. Go to www.GeorgiaCarry.org, top left-hand corner, click Join Now. $20 a year, $500 for a lifetime, and you start getting the emails that tell you where you're going to be and when you need to be there. You can go to just about any sort of convention or festival or parade or park or anything where there are people gathering. Go to any gun show, and you'll find GeorgiaCarry.org members out there working hard, trying to get the word out, getting people to sign up, increasing our ranks, getting people involved. They're always volunteers. They're always working hard, trying to do right by people and get the word and the message out. Go and talk to them. Or... Go to a chapter meeting. Go to the new LaGrange chapter meeting. That's awesome. It's going to be at the the sheriff's training facility. What a wonderful thing that honest law enforcement reaches out to georgiacarry.org and, and, and incorporates us in what they're doing and realizes that we are not the bad guys. I wish more legislatures, legislative members would realize we are not the bad guys. Folks, it's Christmas time. I know a lot of this is the furthest thing from your mind, and you'll buckle down in January, but we don't have that luxury. We can't. When people want to have their, their honest discussions now, we need to go, and we need to fight in, in, in the streets and in the mountains and, and let everyone know that we're here and that this is important and we're not going to stand idly by while freedom is taken. If you're looking for some holiday and uh, ideas, I know we talked about the great investment opportunities that are coming, the, the guns and the Black Friday sales. I think a lot of those are gone, gone, gone by this week. Um, I am rocking out my Beretta M9 today in a Stephen Malice holster. If you do not own a Stephen Malice holster from SCS Custom Holsters right here in, in North Georgia, you are missing out. I have never had a holster this gorgeous, nice, or functional before in my life, and I, I've feel like I should just go and take all of my Galcos and DeSantis and every other holster I own and throw it in the garbage and have this man make them for each one of my guns for the rest of my life because it is it is phenomenal. The belt, even though I am a, a rotund gentleman, the belt is stiff and solid and holds the weight of the gun like it's not even there. And I know a Beretta isn't a very heavy gun, but you know, I, I could slap a Desert Eagle on this thing and it wouldn't even phase it. The belt is phenomenal and the holster Aside from being beautiful, and it is absolutely beautiful, when I push the gun down into it, I can feel it click into place. Click into place using nothing but leather. No Kydex, nothing to scratch, fully lined, but it clicks into place like it was made for it. Because you know what? It was. So if you're looking for the penultimate gift for your husband or wife who wants to carry their gun discreetly but with class and confidence, you can get a... a, a 
Stephen Mallow's holster for two-thirds the price of any other custom maker, get it to you in a month or two instead of two years, and have it be made perfectly for you and for your firearms. So that, that's my plug. Go look them up on Facebook, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Malice, M-A-L-L-I-S, or S-E-S, Custom Leather, um, and have him make you something absolutely phenomenal for this holiday season. Uh, we're at the end of our ropes here this week, folks, and I, I'm going to do my best to try to get a guest on next week. We'll see if she's willing to come and, and make good on her offer, and we will go from there. But until then, I, I would implore you to join Georgia Carey, start getting the email updates, know who's saying what, know what's going down in the Capitol, get involved, get your kids involved, go go to a range, teach them to shoot. You know, um, you, you see so many horrible things happen. You know, the shooting that happened at, on the college campus and just this week. All these horrible things happen. And the answer is, is that we need to be able to defend ourselves. The only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And we need to have those freedoms and liberties. We need to, to have the governor acknowledge campus carry here in Georgia. We've got it. It's, it's law. In fact, Tuesday this week, I'm going to be going and, and lecturing other lawyers on, on what the state of the law is for campus carry and a whole bunch of other things as I teach a CLE class along with John Monroe. So it's going to be an interesting week, and then we're going to try to open a lot of eyes and get people more motivated and involved, and I need you to do it too. Get out there, get involved, get your kids involved, get your family involved, and enjoy this holiday season because there's nothing better than Christmas time in the good old U.S. of A. I'm Doug King signing off. Next week, same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.